Hey, I'm Ian Morgan Cron, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. I have been fascinated by the Enneagram for a number of years. I remember a conversation that I had with several gentlemen when I was at uh, Jeff Coyne's Tribe Conference uh, a few years ago, and everyone knew their number, and I was like, I don't know what number I am. Uh, and there's one person I know that could help me figure out that number beyond just reading about it, and that's Ian Morgan Cron. He's a best-selling author, psychotherapist, Enneagram teacher, Episcopal priest and the host of the wildly popular podcast Typology, which has over 17 million downloads. His latest book is called The Story of You, an Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your True Self. We talk about that and we figure out once and for all what my number is. I'm really excited for this conversation. So let's get to it. Here's my productive conversation and a productive conversation with Ian Morgan Cron. Enjoy. Ian, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the program today. It's a delight. Thank you. So uh, as I mentioned to you before we hit the record button, this is a conversation I've been wanting to have for a while. And now that the book, The Story of You and Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your True Self is out, and I had the opportunity to have this conversation, I'm like, oh, good. Because I also have your previous, and I showed this to you, I have I have the road back to you as well, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. And I want to dig into this a bit because people, I'm a frameworks kind of person. I do like frameworks. I think frameworks foster freedom because they give you kind of this, as long as there's some flexibility and and so on and so forth, and you can read between the lines a bit and they're not too restrictive. I think that they can be incredibly helpful. I would like to, to talk to you first about the new book, the story of you. You're it's an interesting take on the Enneagram. It's, it's to me, I was initially expecting, oh, this is like a leveling, this is going to be like 2.0 of, you know what I mean? This is going to be like, okay, this is, but in, but, and I think it is as I, as I went through the book, but it's, it's an interesting angle that you're approaching the Enneagram with this book. Can you go into that a little bit right out of the gate for, for the listener? Sure. So the the story of you, the premise of it is, is that all of us have a a broken story. We tell ourselves and others about who we are and how we think the world works. And we crafted this story in early childhood to make sense of who we are. Uh, But sadly, our identities and our personalities uh, emerge from these mistaken narratives, if you will. in my work with the Enneagram, you know, I've, I've approached it in the traditional way, which is to see each of these nine types as a personality style. But one of the things I realized as a therapist um, working with the Enneagram is that uh, another way to look at them, and I think a very powerful way, is to see them as nine stories, nine self-limiting, self-defeating stories that people... Uh, unconsciously uh, adopt one of them in childhood. And then unfortunately, they unconsciously drag it into adulthood where it begins to wreak havoc on their lives. As I went through the book, one of the things that stood out, especially at the beginning, because the way the book, you know, and again, we'll get into why I had to go through more of the book maybe than somebody else who has a bit more Enneagram experience. And we'll get to that in a second. But there's a part where you talk about going from passion to virtue. And it immediately hearkened me back to the work of Cal Newport, 
who wrote the book So Good They Can't Ignore You and his idea of why following your passion is bad career advice. So I started to connect some dots there, at least in my productivity-minded brain, because Cal's been on the show before, and and, and uh, it was very interesting advice because most people, when they hear that, they're like, but wait a minute, we've been told, follow your passion, and then and that's how you live a good life. But then when if you read that book, and I don't know if you've read So Good They Can't Ignore You, um, he, he, he gives a really good case as to why it is bad advice. So in terms of going from passion to virtue, in the context of, 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 of what you've written here and what you put in the book and the Enneagram, why most people would think, well, but are they, are they, do you need to forsake one for the other? Like, what does that look like? Because, uh, I think that, that passion is, is such a, um, it's been, it's been preached. It's been, um, it's been, it's, I wouldn't say it's been a, been sold a bill of goods on passion, but you know what I mean? Like there's this, there's this idea of passion, like passion is good. Passion is good. And I'm not saying passion isn't good, but the way, the way you talk about going from passion to virtue, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So the word passion in the Enneagram world is different than the word passion as we understand it in, you know, typical everyday conversation. I think I think most of us would say, oh, passion, that's something, it's an interest that I have or a talent that I have uh, around which I have a great deal of energy and it brings me joy and it's something I pursue wholeheartedly, right? So that's a good passion. Right. But the Enneagram teaches that each of us has a not so great passion. So think about when the Enneagram talks about the word passion, think of it more in terms of a crime of passion, right? Or uh, <laughs> Or if you if you hearken from let's say a Christian religious tradition, we talk about the passion of Christ, all this suffering, right? And and so in the Enneagram world, uh, we assign uh, a passion or uh, what's sometimes called an emotional fixation to each of the nine types. Uh, for and we actually they derive from the seven deadly sins plus two. And mm-hmm. if if any listener sort of objects to that on saying, oh, that's a medieval sort of Christian worldview thing, I'm always like, yeah, that doesn't make it not true though. Um, so you know, if so, for the one, it's anger. For twos, it's pride. For threes, uh, it's deceit. And I could go through all nine types, yeah, but it's in the book. You you actually outline in the book quite, which yeah, and we'll get to that in a second too, because I'm like, okay, again, this comes back. It'll come back to the road back to me in a minute, but keep going. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, part of the journey of transformation and change, part of the journey of, of um, decoupling ourselves from the old story that prevents us from becoming the highest expression of who we are is to let go of the, the, the negative passion that fuels the predictable, habitual, negative patterns of personality that we all have to embrace its counter, right, which is its virtue. So, uh, you know, if you were a Enneagram One who's got an issue with anger and resentment because the whole world isn't as concerned as you are with perfecting themselves, others, and the, uh, the plight of the environment around us, then uh, the, the move to the virtue would be serenity, right? Maybe like in the 12-step world, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. That would really help an Enneagram one perfectionist, right? Right, Improver. So that's the journey there. That's what passion means in the context of the Enneagram and and how the virtue is like the antidote to the passion. Okay. Okay. As someone who has been spending time with the Enneagram, but has not necessarily cracked the nut on what 
their number is. And I'm going to speak from my vantage point because that's who I am. And then I'm, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's listening right now. Maybe several people that are like, yeah, I've looked at the Enneagram. Um, I, I love like quote, and, and I'm going to be reductive here. Personality tests are my jam. And that's not what the Enneagram is, but, but you know what I mean? Like people, they, they, they are looking, they, they look at these at, 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 at tests and, and assessments and things like that. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more as well. What I found fascinating about the story of you as I went through it is because I think our brains are somewhat neg- hardwired to look at the bad before the good. I think this helped clarify for me maybe a bit more about what number I am than I had before I went in. So when someone might ask you the question, like, who is this book for? Uh, or which order should they read the book in? I don't like your, of your books. I don't know that it necessarily matters. And I'd love to hear from you, your thoughts on that. You know, that's a, you're the first interviewer to ask me that question. And I'm so glad you did, because I actually don't think you need to read the road back to you, the, the book previous to it, to, to understand the story of you, because it's just two very different approaches. And I think with the story of you, what, what is so, has been so powerful about it, uh, in my experience, is that, you know, the human brain is wired for story, for a narrative. We, we understand our lives as an unfolding drama, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes comedy, granted. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we think about our lives in terms of, of narrative. And, the, of course, the problem is, yes, we are Velcro for negative messages and we're Teflon for positive messages, Right. That's just the way human beings, uh, again, to use the term, are wired, okay? And I think that uh, the, in, in the story of you, as I go through each of these nine types, what I'm revealing is um, the, the self-sabotaging, our particular self-sabotaging narrative and how we can get out of it, right? Mm-hmm. To inhabit a better, truer, uh, life-giving story. Uh, and to confront these childhood internalized messages and beliefs that no longer serve us as adults. And uh, I tell you what, man, I- I've done this work with individuals. I've done it in groups. And, uh, you know, the moment I say story, the moment I say broken story, that you're living in a broken story, nobody says to me, exactly what do you mean by that? I mean, it's like people just go, oh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yep. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I get it. <laughs> and and uh, and then when you tell them, guess what? You know, you have freedom, and you have the power to change that story. Then they really lean in, right? And and I think it, one of the things actually this leads nicely dovetails nicely into what I want to ask you because as 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 I I've gone through looking at the enneagram, and again, this is the, I think some of this you a lot of people take this approach. I'm generalizing here when they're taking on any kind of like assessment kind of is they see examples of people. So I know that there's like, oh, this person, these these are examples of ones or these are examples of fives. And you almost try to imprint like, oh, I want to be that person. So therefore, how can I find the commonality? And then, you know, by by virtue, for lack of a better term of that, therefore I I can be that. That's not how it works, is it? It's at all, really. But, but- but to me, I almost wonder if that, that like, oh, I want to be like Dave Grohl or I want to be like Oprah Winfrey or I want to be like that person. What I think that in and of itself can tell you more about the number that you are than 
what those numbers of those people are, right? Mm. Yeah, you know what? It's it's really interesting. Um, number one, you're right. Sometimes people will say, oh, you know, Warren Buffett is a five. Uh, or, um, you know, uh, Mother Teresa is an eight, interestingly enough. Or, you know, Mr. Rogers is a two. You know, you can just go on and on and on. And, yeah. and, and of, of course, that actually ends up being a stereotype, uh, a, like a cartoon of that type, more than it is necessarily that person's actual personality style, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, remember, personality is based on something none of us can see except the person who's trying to figure out their type, which is the unconscious motivation. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's just not visible on the outside. So you can say, okay, it is fun and interesting to say, oh, I think this person is that, or I think this person is something else. But yeah, usually a lot of, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but I think a lot of the time people just get it wrong. It takes work too, right? Like it's not, I think a lot of people, and this goes back to time, productivity, things like that, is they want the quick answer. There's no quick answer in, in, in looking inward. And especially when it comes to the story of you, is there? No, it isn't. It's there's uh, as you so wisely say. There, there's no hack in the the what I would call the psycho spiritual life of the human being. Right? It's like you just have to do the work, but the work is well worth it. Right? And right. in fact, I and, and I would argue that if you don't do the work, then um, you will live a life far smaller and far less, if you will, productive. Uh, far less. Uh, satisfying and life-giving than uh, if you, you know, it's just if you continue to ignore just how important your inner world is. So let's get into the numbers. Let's get into the, um, one thing I noticed, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go backwards on this because I went to your site. We're going to have all the links in the show notes, not just to the book, but to the, uh, to, to the, the tool that can help you figure out what number you might be. One of the things that comes up is the wings, right? The wings and the, and um, what's the other? Uh, I, I'm, it's, I'm blanking on it right now. The wing, but then there's the opposite, right? The 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 counter to it, I think, isn't it, or something like that, where it's like oh, the, the. I think you're talking about subtypes there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, like, but you. One of the things that when you're when you're when you go to take the assessment, one of the FAQ questions is, "Well, I know what my wings are," and and I was surprised by the answer there. It's like no, because people the wings almost in the subtypes. I don't know. I, I, to me, some people are like, they really want to have that. I mean, I looked at them like, Oh, I'd be interested in that. But I also get the idea of why you might not want to do that. So why number one, why did you, when you're looking at numbers, why are you trying to get maybe, I wouldn't say the purest, but the, 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 the core number, and then not so concerned about the wing and the subsets um, first. And then second question, the follow up to that is, why do you think people are so concerned about getting those things? The people that are at, like, why did that have to be an FAQ? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, uh, the first thing I'd say is it's really just important to figure out what your dominant type is. Right. right. Cause here's, here's the deal. You, you contain all nine types mm-hmm. and that's why sometimes it's hard to figure out what your core type is in the okay. beginning. You just have one that's more like you than the other eight. Right. And, uh, that's that's you know that's a, that's a very simplistic way of saying it, but that's the truth. Now, when you start talking about wings, wings for those who don't know are uh, when you look at the enneagram diagram, there's a number on either side of yours. So if you're a five on the enneagram, there would be a four on one side and a six on the other. Mm-hmm. And 
What the wing is, your dominant wing, is the wing that kind of flavors you with some of that type's you know, characteristic traits and strengths and challenges, right? Right. Uh, and uh, the subtype um, is a more complicated answer that I mm. don't want to probably bore your audience with, right? Right. Uh, but each type actually has three subtypes, right? Right. So just think about it this way, Mike. Your core type is just where we start, okay? And you can Perfect. learn a lot about your, your life and who you are just on the basis of your, if you just chose to go no further than that. Mm -hmm. Right now, that's a low resolution picture of your interior world, of your personality. Right. Yep. Then if you once you learn your wing, now you have a higher resolution picture. Right. You have more yep. clarity. Mm -hmm. And then when you know your subtype, now you have a, a more 4K kind of vision of, of if I can use that term uh, of what's happening on the inside. So I think people are interested in it. Uh, for two reasons. One is they just want more clarity, right? They want they want to see the distinctiveness of their particular type in more focus. Secondly, I think they do it because sometimes it's very hard to figure out your type, mm -hmm. and when particularly when you look at subtypes, uh, it's um, can be really really helpful. And because that's the aha moment when they yeah. read one of the subtypes, they go boom, now I get it. Right. So. I'm going to go back to the story of you because I've gone yep. through the road back to you three or four times. <laughs> and, and it's, it's been, it's been, I've gotten closer and closer and closer. So we're, we're going to, we're going to, and the reason I asked you earlier about like, you know, looking at it from the inverse is because when I look at, and the way this book is broken down, which I think is very wise is to say like, here's each story. So if you already have a sense of what number you are, then you could take a look at yours. I think the other, I think the other important thing to, to look at is if you are of others that you know that are other numbers, looking at theirs can be helpful too. So that way you can relate to them better, right? Absolutely. I'm looking at the number three and, and I think I've talked to our mutual friend, Mike Pacchione about this. Actually, uh, while we were chatting earlier, I was looking at, at, um, at our a text exchange from years ago and he's like, you'd make sense as, as, as a three based on, you know, what I know about you. Um, he said, but he also said, again, I could see you as almost any number except an eight. So I, to your point earlier about like only you really kind of know. Um, but then I looked at the, at the story of the number three here and the bullet points and there are what eight of them, uh, I think, um, uh, I'd be happier if I was more successful. If I'm not number one, I'm nothing. The world rewards doing, not being. I'm valuable when others admire me. Failure isn't an option. Image and appearance matter a lot. If you're not somebody, you're nobody. It's okay to wear a mask to win over different types of people. And my first thought was, and uh, Keith, our producer, is going to have to bleep this out, but... Because... <laughs> 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 Don't bleep it out. That's a perfect response. <laughs> but that's... So... I think like that, why was that the perfect response there? Why was that the perfect response? What I just said. Because it's the normal response when people hit their type. Uh, the Enneagram describes for you who you are at your best uh, and who you are not at your best. It describes, it, it helps you understand that that which is best about you is worst about you and what's worst about you can be best about you. And, you know, the story, the broken story of the three is the is supported by this mistaken belief that um, I'm only, as you mentioned, valuable for what I do, not for who I am inside. And at all costs, 
I have to be successful, appear successful, and avoid failure at all costs. Now, that story helped you as a little kid get by in the world and get right. your needs met. But it's, it's, if you don't address it and inhabit a better story in adulthood, that story will screw you. Yeah. And, and I, by the way, I've, the reason that I said, you know, that, that I recognized it is I've started to address it. See, I think that's the other thing too, is that, um, yes, as I went through the book and again, like I said, I've gone through the road back to you as well. Um, there's hints, like you said, everybody has different parts. So I was like, oh, I could be, which is why it took me so long. This book. So when I, when I texted Mike again saying, I'm talking to Ian about his new book and he goes, oh, Ian will be able to help figure it out. The book helped me figure it out before we even jumped in the conversation. So there you go. But I mean, the idea, but there were things, again, the broken story, they're like, oh, well that's peace. But that, but there were less. It was really interesting to see that there were more pieces of the broken story that I recognized in the three and less in the others. And then further to that, and I, and I, I can look back and know exactly what some of those pieces are. Um, Mike's not an athlete. He gets picked last. Da, 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 da. Like there's all these things. Um, you know, there was a bunch of the performer aspect. Oh, absolutely. You put on, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm an actor. I did comedy. I did all that stuff. So, uh, but I have started to address them. And as I've started to address them, to your point, I've noticed number one, uh, things are better, but I think more importantly, which lead to the, is that the story was wrong, that yes. what was going on in my head was not true at all. So, um, and, and, and I'd love like for someone who goes through this book or even like is looking at the Enneagram, they're like, I want to, I want to know what's, what's like, What's one step, like, other than, like, when you go through the book, like, what's one step they can take to start repairing that, that idea of the story? And I think, because once you flip one page on it or change one page on it, you're like, oh, well, that wasn't as bad. I can start to alter more, multiple pages, multiple chapters, et cetera. Great question. You know, in the book, one of the things I wanted to do was try to get, give people um, something that they could do to jumpstart the journey of you know, jettisoning the old broken story of their lives and uh, get started on the process of reauthoring a new story to take, to really take responsibility for being the narrator of their own life, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a, I use the acronym SOAR, S-O-A-R in the book. Um, I don't like acronyms much because they always sound like platitudes, but frankly, I know from personal experience, every now and then a, an acronym can help you. Yep. Mnemonics um, always, mnemonics are, are, they work. They just do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. So the first one is C, all right? Uh, the great author, Wendell Berry, he, he has this great quote. He says, if you don't know where you're from, you'll have a hard time saying where you're going. And so the first step of transformation of your story with the Enneagram is to see where your old story began. Uh, it's to sort of unearth the, the hurtful events, the unchallenged, taken-for-granted beliefs, and the unhelpful internalized messages from your childhood that continue to rule your life today, right? And right. For, uh, we all know this term, but it, it, we would call this your origin story. Right. Uh, then the, the second step is to own right? And this is a little hard, but it's just how it goes. You know, as you know, there's no such thing as growth without discomfort. So the, the second step involves exploring the shadow side as well as the strength of your story and type. 
Um, and, and what that means is, is to kind of inventory uh, your life. Like, what has living in this story cost me and others? And then do I want to continue to live in it? So for you as an Enneagram 3, that unconscious motivation, the need to succeed, to appear successful and avoid failure at all costs, what does that cost your family? What does that cost your friends? What does it cost you? Um, how has it hurt relationships? How has it possibly hurt your health? How has it held you back? What opportunities did you miss as a result of, you know, continuing to believe that lie about your life? Now, once you do that, then we go to the process of awakening, A. So once you, you, you see the old story in the past, you can kind of begin to move into the present. Like, because, you know, our old stories have a trance-like quality. We've been in them for so long. We don't even, you know, there's a quote in the book I love. It's like, uh, it says, um, the, 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 the prison that is most secure is the one you don't know you're in. And you've been in that old story a long time, man. And so yeah. we, we begin to learn mindfulness, right? Mm. Uh, the process of um, being able to observe your behaviors in real time paying attention to what's happening and catching yourself in the act of falling into the old story again, right? So that's, that's the, the awaken part, right? Just wake up and see it, right? Then rewrite, now that you've been in the past, now you've been in the present, now we're going to look into the future. Uh, it, what's interesting is that once you've done the, the seeing and the owning of that and, and you've started to wake up, What's interesting is that even though it sounds passive, by the time you've cleared away so much of that debris uh, of your old story, your new story will just begin revealing itself without you having to force it, right? right. It's just yeah. like it, the green shoots of the real story begin to reveal themselves on their own. But there are some practical things to do. Like, for example, in the book, I talk about, as I went through this process, I, I, I titled my old story, The Lost Boy. Right. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's it, you know, it. Interestingly, just real quick is I just did, uh, we're recording this in, in mid January and I finally had the bandwidth to do a 2021 year in review. Family mm. had gone away. The kids, thanks COVID-19 were out of school a little bit longer, things like that. So I didn't have space to do it. I had time, but not space. I had both. And I sat and I went through and there's this app I use I love called Reflection by Holsty, and it actually has a prompted annual review. And I, and I journal every single day, which I think is helpful and has been helpful in this process. And at the end of the year, there's a couple things I realized. Number one, I'm way too hard on myself day to day, just way too hard. But you see it when you go back and you read 365 days worth of, of, your, of your story, which is what journal, to me, like if the to-do list is the details of your day and the calendar is like the, the directory, then this journal is the story of your life. Like it's just, that's what that is. And, but I noticed when I went through it, there were some, there was a recurring, there was some recurring stuff, patterns. And I named 2021. I was, it's it, at the end, it asks you name one or two words that describe 2021. And you alluded to this um, when you were talking about the quote, which the prison quote, because it had me thinking about the movie with Andrew Garfield, Tick, Tick, Boom, where there's a song in it. And one of the lyrics is, um, cages or wings, which do you prefer? Ask the birds. 
And that's the lyric. And I'm like, uh, like you mentioned them. Like that's exactly because birds, what would they prefer? Of course they would prefer no cages that, you know, and have their wing. And so the, I titled 2021, you'd call it, you know, the, the former story of the lost boy, 2021 was my year. It was called tick, tick, boom, hmm. because that movie without giving it away ultimately is about getting your priorities straight. That's really ultimately what it's about. It's a musical. If you don't like musicals, <laughs> you're going to want to watch it, but it's really, I mean, it, that's what it was about. And that's what my year was about. And, and so to that end, um, as soon as you're right, like as soon as you do the hard work, which was read, like going through that stuff, the, you're building, you're building a solid foundation. Like you said, and all of a sudden it, the, you're tending the garden, you're getting rid of all the weeds. Then things start to start to grow. So, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to bring that in because it was just like the old story is so it's so hard to break and you have to spend time with it as uncomfortable as that is to get a better to get the to get a new story, a better story. Yes, absolutely. And I think um, you you said it beautifully uh, in, in the titling of. 2021, uh, what I'm at, I would ask you to do is to really even go another hundred thousand feet higher right. and, and read, just tell me what the story of your life, the old story was first 20 years, 25, even up to the present day. And then, and then what is the name of the new story you want to live? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and no, that's no. a very, it's a very powerful exercise. Yeah. And, and what, what I, I hear from people when, and, and, and I mean, we all do this is, yeah, I went back into an annual review. I, you're right. Going back is even more powerful. I, mean, I read Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights book, and he, I've got his journal, and I'm like just hearing his story and, and just having those records. It, it allows you to – it gives you perspective. But, yeah, digging back deeper, the question is – okay, so here's, here's, a, here's a time-oriented question on that. People will say that they don't have time to meditate. They don't have time to journal. They don't have time to do all those things. How do you help someone who has that – bias or that myth in their head break through that so that they can do the work that we're talking about, especially the work you're talking about. And then that way they're, what they're doing is for, is not for not, you know what I mean? Because if they're doing the same things over and over again, and it's not part, it's, it's a broken story. Then are they quote, really quote being productive for lack of better. Like, so for someone who is saying, ah, I don't have time to journal. I have time to do this work. I'm just going to get, I'm <laughs> just going to, I'm a three, now I know, yay me, and then that's it. Like that's uh, how do you help someone go from the 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 number that they have to okay? Other than reading the book, the book, the book definitely. I mean, you could see it got me to figuring out what my number is. How do you get them to say, okay, well, you need to put time into this, and here's here's how, like here's where you need to do this, or here's how you you can do this. Hmm. Well, first of all, people who say that, uh, you know, to use sort of the language that your audience will understand, those, are, those people aren't productive. They're just busy. Yep. You know, uh, there's a big difference, right? Uh, a productive life has focus. It has direction, right? It has commitment. Busy is just oftentimes, uh, you know, frenetic behavior, uh, del deluding oneself into thinking that, Things are actually getting done at a deep level when actually you're probably just scooping around on the skating around on the surface of your life. And I think also that uh, with people like that, sometimes I just look at them, I go, okay, that's certainly you're right. 
Uh, that's certainly your business. And, and I can't control you. I can't, you know, persuade you of this. Uh, maybe you're just not ready. So put my book on your shelf because eventually, hopefully, something's going to happen in your life where the old story no, is now really strangling you and you'll be ready to read it. You know, uh, that's just how people are, man. I, I, I don't, I, I, you know, it's like politics. I don't even get into conversations where people expect me to persuade them. That, <laughs> it's, that, that, no, no, but you're right. Like that, it's the heckler. It's the, you know, you, I mean, I've had that, right? Like, I mean, again, doing stand up and doing, again, this goes back. Th and this, again, further alludes to the three. Uh, I would be the guy that would try to convince the heckler for the longest time. There's like 40 other people in the, in the stand up audience, or if I'm doing a workshop, even now, uh, well, not now, I've been better at that over years, but I mean, in, in the work I do now, there'd be 20 people in the workshop, but there'd be that one person with their arms crossed going, whatever, dude. And I'd be like, wait, well, no, I have to convince that guy, like that guy right there. And there's no convincing that person. And by take, giving them my time and attention and energy, I'm stealing it away from the other 20 people that are like, hey, I'm buying in. Um, so I hear you on that. Um, last question before I let you go. What are you going to do when the Tennessee Titans lose to the Cincinnati Bengals on Saturday? <laughs> Oh, now we're getting down to it. <laughs> Listen, you know, I, I only start to watch football at this time of year because I like to have friends over for chili. And sure. so I, I'm not a huge football fan, but, you know, it could be the Titans year, man. They've, they've, could they've, be. Could you get be Henry the, back. You get Henry back and, and, and oh. the offense is clicking. It's, it's fat. I mean, the fact that uh, I was 16 years old. The last time the Bengals won a playoff game until this year is, it makes me happy enough. Like we're, and we've got a good team going forward, but it's like, uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm like, I know where you live <laughs> and I'm a Bengals fan. And I, I had not for years had that, that helmet up. You can't see this if you're listening to this, but I have my Bengals helmet up in, in the background now of, of my desk. It's like sitting up there. Um, I'm excited for the future of it, but yeah, I just, I couldn't resist. So, uh, it's going to be a good game regardless. I think, I think both teams are, are primed to, to, to make an impact and whoever wins, they got to go up against either Buffalo or Kansas city. So that's going to be a challenge in and of itself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, Ian, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. The books, the book, the new book is called the story of you, uh, an Enneagram journey to becoming your true self. But I would also recommend that you pick up the road back to you. Uh, they're And, and to your point, these have been on my, I mean, Road Back to You has been on my shelf for a while. Since I was, I think I picked it up when I was in Franklin at Jeff Goins's conference, like I'm talking a few years ago. I just and saw Jeff. I just, I just spent a couple hours with Jeff yesterday. Yeah. Love him. Uh, we've had, we have had, we've had uh, the opportunity to hang out before at a couple of events, his event, as well as a uh, Chris Ducker's event. We both spoke at that event a few years ago and in Portland and all this stuff. Jeff's a great guy. Um, I think he's been, and he's been on the show before. Uh, where can people pick up the book and where can people, if they want to dig deeper into this journey, then where can they go to do that? Yeah. So of course you can order it on Amazon. Uh, you can go to Barnes and Noble. You can, you know, go to your local bookseller. There's uh, maybe a pretty good chance that they'll be able to, you'll be able to find the book there. Uh, in terms of where they can learn more, they can, folks can go to my website uh, and I'll spell it I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N.com. And they can learn about a course I have called uh, Discovering You, uh, which is an eight-hour course about the Enneagram, you know, kind of an introductory level course. Uh, they can find my Enneagram assessment uh, that'll help them find their type. It's called the IEQ-9. 
and uh, they'll also learn about my my podcast, Typology, uh, on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. That's our our kind of script. Uh, and uh, and the aforementioned Mike Pacione, who I've mentioned a couple times, has been, appeared on that. He was on a two parter episode, I believe, with you. Yes. Okay. Yes. And. Um, you know, if, uh, my, my socials are at Ian Morgan Cron across all the channels. Ian, thanks for having a productive conversation with me today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. I told you that this was going to be a good one. I'm glad I've got my number nailed down. I'm glad that I had the chance to finally chat with Ian. And I encourage you to pick up his book, The Story of You, as well as, you know, he wrote the, he wrote the road back to you as well. And you know, check out Typology as well. In fact, if you want to be able to do this quickly and easily, just go to productivityist.com slash podcast 415. You get all the links, all the show notes, everything we talked about right there for you. And by the way, if you want to support the show, you enjoyed this conversation, you want to hear more of it, subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. And another way to support the show is to support our sponsors, the ones you heard today be great examples of that. So go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to make that happen. And that way they know that I sent you. I want to make sure that I send you to next week's episode because it's coming out from the vault. It's my friend, Chris Bailey. We're bringing one out from the vault with a brand new shiny intro to it that I can't wait to deliver. You don't want to miss this one. Until then, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of a productive conversation with Mike Vardy, reminding you, stop doing productive start being productive. I'll see you later.